Welcome to the Heal and Expand podcast. I am your host, Yaro K. Bukans, clinically trained therapist, healer, and personal power mentor. In my world, healing is the gateway to expansion, and your personal power is gold. Join me on a journey through the holy trinity of healing, psychological, spiritual, and somatic, using a combination of storytelling, psychoeducation, and ancient wisdom we will excavate and explore what it means and how to heal and expand. Thank you for being here. Hello. So I'm just going to give you a little reminder of where we left off. We left off with my working in a three-star Michelin chef's kitchen and witnessing him love what he does so much that I thought to myself, I don't want to go to law school. I want to love what I do as much as he loves what he does. And that is where we left. And I'm going to travel us back in time a little bit. But first, I would love if you would just take a moment. Maybe bring your hands to your heart, maybe your solar plexus, maybe your lower abdomen. And let's take three long, deep breaths together. And notice any impatience that comes up with you, any want to fast forward, any want to shift away. This simple practice is so unbelievably profound for bringing your nervous system back to its ventral state, which ventral is connection, home, and joy, and love. We so often run through life in sympathetic, and then we collapse into dorsal, and those are our trauma responses. Those are our fight or flight. Those are shut down. Those are the ways that we protect ourselves, our survival mechanisms. And so I want you to just, just notice what happens in your body when I ask you to stop. Just take a moment, maybe hands to your thighs, maybe your solar plexus, maybe your heart, and let's take three long deep breaths. Close your eyes if that feels safe. And take these through the nose. Two more. If your eyes were closed, slowly come back into this space. A very dear friend of mine asked me a few years ago, what was a simple way for her to start this healing work? And that is what I suggested. She said she would be in her office and she would feel really frenetic and really anxious. And I was like, just bring your hands to your body, take three long deep breaths and try to do that at least five times a day. It is one of the most profound practices that you will ever integrate into your life. And we don't realize that something so simple can be so profound. Okay, continuing on. We're going to travel back in time a little bit, back to the DJ who I was listening to when I found God on the dance floor of a rave. So at the time, thinking where I was at, I was coming off of the summer of mushrooms, the lost summer, as my mother called it. And I was kind of going back to raves a little bit, even though it still wasn't like 
where I was feeling my most inspired anymore. I felt in a lot of ways, like I had outgrown it, but there was still joy I received there. I still felt connected. I still love dancing to this day. I still love dancing to electronic music in that way. So, excuse me, I went back in a little bit and that DJ, I guess, put his sights on me. So, This is going to be a tricky episode for me because I have to really walk the line of what is oversharing and going to feel too vulnerable and what is going to be useful and helpful to the story. So we're going to work on balancing the two. And that is something that when you develop emotional mastery around being able to share vulnerably with an open heart without oversharing in a way that's going to make you feel like you have shared your soul in a way that feels uncomfortable for you. Finding that balance for yourself is key in life. Vulnerability, intimacy, feeling able to connect from an open, gracious heart without making yourself feel like you're going into a trauma response is everything. I spent so much of my life oversharing from a trauma response and I didn't actually know what real vulnerability was. And this is something I teach with my clients. It's something I teach in the Art of Connecting Healing program. It is crucial for you feeling safe with other humans in the world. Okay, so we're going to navigate this. So he put his sights on me. And there were a few different parties I went to where he was definitely actively making contact with me. And I knew his reputation. I mean, he essentially had a harem, like literally. And I knew that. And I decided to lean in anyways. And I remember after one party where he asked for my number, I was driving back with my dear friend. Like she was like one of my best raver friends. We are still friends to this day. And she was like, so excited. She was like, this is going to be so amazing. You guys are so in alignment. I just love this. And I looked at her and I laughed and I said, oh no, this is going to be terrible. It's going to be awful for everyone involved, but I'm going to do it anyways. Now, here's the thing in life. We judge other people's trajectory all the time and it inhibits people. I just get teary. I just can't help it. You all know when I get teary, I hit truth. And so I brought some tissue-esque things today to try to manage through. I just get so excited. Um, Or I feel truth. All the things, like all the emotions make me teary. I actually had a client tell me the other day that she hired me because she saw me get teary in a lecture that I gave. And she has no idea what that meant to me because I have been teased and judged about my teary eyes and my emotionality for my entire life. That is for another time. So we do not trust people's trajectory. We judge it. We criticize it. We try to control it because we are uncomfortable with pain and we are uncomfortable with the unknown. Now, when I said this to my friend at that time, she didn't realize what I was referring to. She was like, oh, no, it'll be amazing. Maybe you guys will get married. And I was like, haha, this is going to be awful, but I'm doing it because I have to. And he actually called me the night he got my number. We pulled into my driveway. I was 21, 22 at the time, 22. And he called me like immediately. And we spent like a couple hours on the phone in the middle of the night and blah, blah. And I was all kind of Twitter pated about this. He had some power in the scene that I was in and he was a Scorpio. So we all know how powerful they are. And I love Scorpios. That is not saying anything bad about Scorpios, but y'all are a special breed. And here's the thing about me that I just found out in the last year. I am a three, five projector in human design. 
I am still learning human design. I'm a total novice to it. And I want to share something about all things that explain who we are as humans. I hold them all lightly because if you rigidly attach too much to, I'm an Aquarius, which is what I am. I'm a three, five projector. I'm an INFJ, like all of these things. I'm an Enneagram four. Like if you attach too rigidly to any of them, it becomes an addictive behavior and it becomes a way of, I need to know, I need to know, I need to know, like that frenetic grasping of inability to just be with things, right? To be with life, to be with the flow and the ebb of nature of life. However, as I have read about three, five projectors, I have never felt so seen in my life. One of the things about a three, five number line in human design is that we are the great experimenters. We basically, I read this in someone's Instagram story the other day, have to stick our finger in a socket before we find out, oh yeah, that's a bad idea. So no one can tell us how to do things. And we're adventurous and we're exploratory and we're curious and we want to do all the things to sometimes our benefit and sometimes not. And sometimes what looks like it's not of our benefit is actually the most valuable thing we could ever do for ourselves. And I have had many romantic relationships that look like that from the outside, like, whoo, that is a mess. Internally, they were transforming me in ways and on levels that nothing else ever has. And the thing is, is that because I have felt so judged for this, it has caused even deeper trauma responses in me. Sometimes these relationships were existing because of my anxious attachment, which we're going to get to. So I decided to start dating. Dating is such a big word there. Seeing, whatever. Sleeping with, who knows, this DJ. I was 22 and uh, maybe I was just 23. I think I was just 23 and I was about to graduate from college. So I only had like four months left of college. And it was a nightmare. I mean, he had so many girlfriends. It was so crazy. Everyone, they, they were all trying to like get to know each other. I got sucked into that a little bit and then I pulled back and then I would be really judgy. Uh, I call it like a psychological experiment, this relationship. Now you might be wondering, what was it doing for me? Well, a lot of things actually. So up until that point, as you may remember from episode one, I was getting into the relationships uh, and then I was feeling very stuck because I was controlling. So that is anxious attachment. There are four attachment styles. There's anxious, avoidant, disorganized, or fearful avoidant. They have two, that one has two names, and secure. Of course, at 23, I didn't know this. We should literally be taught this when we're in elementary school. Our parents should be taught this as well. Like this is the most crucial information because we are attachment-based creatures. Our nervous systems form based on the other nervous systems that we are around. So our attachment style will be formed based on how our parents relate to us. My mother has extreme anxious attachment. To this day, she still is anxiously attached to me. I adopted that. And even though I hated it, I hate when she does it to me. It like makes my blood boil. I have done that to my romantic partners and to my friendships. And I've done it with jobs. I've done it with everything. So I'm not going to break down the four attachment styles in this moment. I will put a quiz in the show notes that is really valuable and important. And the thing about attachment is that it has to heal in relationship. 
And we all have insecure attachment in some form or another because we are an insecurely attached society. And when I say insecure attachment, I mean anything other than secure. So whether that's avoidant, whether that's fearful avoidant, whether that's anxious, we all have some form of it. We do not live in a securely attached society. Once upon a time in society, in tribal cultures, babies would just be passed around from one regulated nervous system to the other. And by regulated, I mean calm, connected, mostly in ventral. A flexible and regulated nervous system is able to move from ventral into sympathetic, into dorsal, back to sympathetic, back to dorsal. It's able to have blended states of sympathetic and and ventral, of dorsal and ventral. Of It's able to move and ebb and throw your flow. You're not supposed to always be in ventral, but a flexible, regulated nervous system will have the ability to move from one state or the to the other without getting stuck. When we have trauma, which again is all of us, we will get stuck in one state. So maybe that's sympathetic and then we collapse into dorsal and then to get from dorsal back to ventral, we have to go back in, into sympathetic. So I feel like I explained this in the first podcast, but um, ventral is connection, home, and joy, and love. When we feel threatened, we go into fight or flight, which is sympathetic. That might look like overworking, overdoing, overexercising, excuse me, anxiety. From there, we may collapse into dorsal, which would look like binging Netflix, drinking alcohol, depression. To get back to ventral, connection, home, and joy, and love, it's a ladder. You have to go from dorsal, you have to fight for your life, and then you get back to ventral. In this society, because it is such a traumatized and addicted society, we are often stuck in sympathetic, collapse into dorsal, go back to sympathetic, and barely ever make it to ventral. So we run through life on fight or flight, overdoing, overworking, all the things, hustling, scrolling, freaking out, anxiety, all that. Like, And then we crash, and then we go back into sympathetic, and then we crash, da-da-da-da-da, and that's the cycle. And we very rarely make it to ventral, which is where we should be spending most of our time. So babies in this society are not attuned to properly. Their nervous systems are not wired to ventral. This is no one's fault. And it's really important that everyone realizes this. This is absolutely no one's fault. This is just the way society has gone. And we live in a dysregulated, traumatized, overworking, overdoing, addictive society. We are literally fed addictive behaviors all day long. Netflix, binging, eating, dopamine hits, sugar highs, porn, all the things are just thrown at us. And we are so dysregulated. We're like, <laughs> we don't know what to do. Let's take a breath. Coming back to your body, this is why that little breathing exercise I did at the beginning is absolutely key because when you're able to do that, when you're able to come back to your body and back to your breath, you're able to regulate. And if you have children, you're able to regulate with your children when you're regulated. So I had anxious attachment and I felt shameful about it like deeply shameful about it. And so I had these beautiful relationships that I would suck the joy out of them. I stopped, I would stop having intimate connections with them, stop having sex with them. I would feel very wound up and all the time, all the time wound up studying like a psycho, producing these beautiful raves. And I would only really feel that connection when I was listening to the electronic music, when I was dancing, when I was on mushrooms, when I was on LSD, because my defenses were able to soften and I was able to connect. This is why psychedelics are such a valuable form of uh, medicine to help heal because it allows us to release the defenses and to connect to our hearts. 
Dr. Gabor, Dr. Gabor Mate says, addiction is all about the heart being shut down. And then you're trying to substitute with all of these addictive behaviors, what only an open heart can give. He said that on his podcast with Russell Brand, on Russell Brand's podcast, the interview that he did on there. That resonates so deeply for me. And it is something that I use with my clients all the time. We are shut down around our hearts, around our emotionality. And even if we are deeply emotional, it doesn't mean we're connected to our hearts. It doesn't mean we're connected to our mature adult selves. Mature has such a negative connotation in this world, but when you evolve into a mature man or mature woman, a mature human, there is wisdom and such beauty that exists within you. When we are acting out like children, this is where all the drama and all the chaos and then society feeds it with reality TV. All that bullshit that we're watching all the time that it just pumping adrenaline into our systems and perpetuating our addiction to drama. I seem like I have gotten way off track, but I have not because this is valuable. When you are connected to a regulated nervous system, you are able to regulate and come home to yourself. And that is the work that I do with, with other humans because I have spent years getting myself to this space of feeling safe to just be and receive and safe to take aligned, connected action, not hustling, not activated, but inspired, connected, and knowing when I need to take space for me. And it is so valuable. So at this point in time, at 23 years old, I first of all, didn't know I had anxious attachment. I knew these behaviors that would come up in my mom that I disliked. I knew how they would come up in me and I disliked them in me. And they were the reason that I ended my last relationship at 21 years old. The one previous to the DJ is because I was sucking the joy out of both of our lives. And it was not fun for either of us. It was painful, deeply, deeply, deeply painful. So, and ending it was painful as well. However, being it was, and it was also painful. So when I started seeing this DJ, we had this great connection intimately. He had that ability to have those kinds of connections with women, mostly across the board. We did have a really pure, clean connection and it opened me up intimately and sexually in a way that I hadn't felt. I'm not sure why it allowed me to feel more comfortable to express that side of myself. We don't need to go into that too much, in too much but it was really like one of the primary benefits of this relationship. He was super manipulative and he was very psychologically intelligent. So definitely emotionally abusive. And here's the thing. I'm not saying at all that anybody should withstand emotional abuse, but I do believe we are our most powerful sovereign beings when we are able to relate to what other people do from a place of power rather than a place of victimhood. So at one point in time, while he and I were seeing each other, he said to me, you are a very independent woman when you're alone, but when you have a relationship, you get really needy like a child. And he used to say that he thought there should, he should have a mobile over his bed just so I could like coo and caw at it. I basically was like a child. I didn't even know it. And I actually didn't put that together back then. I'm really just putting that together almost in this moment about the inner child healing that I needed to do. And when he said that to me, 
I could have taken it one of two ways. I first of all could have allowed him to emotionally manipulate. And I know that sometimes that is not an allowing that is just our own wounding that is not feeling powerful enough to pull back. I could have reacted and projected onto him like, oh, he's such an asshole. He's this, that, and the other. It's not helpful. I was still going to keep seeing him. So what I actually did, even at 23, is I got still and I reflected and I was like, he's absolutely right about that. And I want to heal that. Like, I don't want to be acting like that with the people who I romantically am involved with or my friends. That's not how I want to be living my life. Excuse me. Nose is getting... Eyes are getting teary, nose is getting a little runny. And through his and my relationship, I did a lot of exploring around that. The relationship was super triggering for me in a multitude of ways because of him and also because literally everyone in my life judged me. We live in a society, like I said at the beginning, where people do not know how to be with uncertainty. They don't know how to be with pain. They don't know how to be with things that aren't like, oh, this is wrapped up in a nice little bow. And I'm not saying that people needed to validate my BS around it because I definitely had a lot of BS around it. But maybe if I had had people who could just hold me, and I did have some who would just hold me and were just there with me until I came to the other side. Sometimes that's what people need. They need a safe place to land. They need someone who can be with them and understand and empathize and maybe say, you know, I believe that you are worth more than this and I'm here with you. Without retracting, without judging, without pulling away, without projecting, without shaming. We shame people all the time for their relationships. We shame people for their behaviors. We shame people for their addictions. And when you have anxious attachment, you literally feel like you're going to die without this person. It's not rational. You actually feel like you're going to die in your body. And so you do anything to hold on, whether it's good for you or not. And also, you never know the trajectory of someone's soul. I did so much transforming through that relationship. And I had so many friends who were just totally judgmental. I had to sneak out of my house because my roommate was so cruel to me about it. And that wasn't helpful. Was I doing the best thing for myself? Probably not, but I was going to do it anyways. I am the great experimenter. I don't regret it. I never regretted it. It always was like, made me feel alive intimacy with him made me feel alive learning about his psychology and the ways that he related to other women made me feel alive I'm so fascinated I mean look what I do for a living now the human heart is literally the only thing I've ever cared about and how people function and how people relate and what goes on there were some of my woundedness coming out with him as well and also I was learning so much and also it was helping heal my woundedness in a lot of ways. We never know the trajectory of another human soul. We don't know what is transforming them to their highest good. And when we project, when we deny, when we pathologize, when we judge ourselves or others, we inhibit our learning. We actually stop ourselves from transforming spiritually. We are not meant to live painless lives. And because we resist the pain, we suffer. Leaning into holding the pain, being with the pain, allowing it to move through your body 
without the defenses, without overthinking, overanalyzing, obsessing. And I will own that those are things I did to avoid the pain of this relationship, of this dynamic. I obsessed, overanalyzed, and judged. Those were my defenses that at 23, I didn't realize were defenses. I still transformed through that relationship. And he was really funny because when we first started dating, he was like, you know, you're really pretty and really pretty girls take a lot of effort and you're going to one day just wake up and be sick of my shit. And I told, I didn't, I actually sort of believed him if I like, there were times I would be with him because most of the time I was with him, it was just sexual. I were times I'd be with him and I'd look at him and be like, oh God, just no. <laughs> Energetically, he just didn't have the like, oof, that I wanted, but he was really interesting and connected. And so here's another thing. I am a wild human who can be with pain, who's always wanted to spiritually transform since I was like 19. That's young. And my theory on humans is that we are in one of three stages in life. We are either avoiding the depths of our soul in the depths of our soul and with the pain and unable to transform the pain, but holding on to the pain. And then we've come, there are those of us who've come to the other side, who've transformed the pain, who have become fully sovereign, powerful beings who are able to be with our emotions. Because when you're able to be with your emotions, you are the most powerful person in the room. When you're able to be with your emotions, you're able to be in the unknown. And that makes you the most powerful person in the room. Now, of those three stages, just take a moment and reflect on how many people you know who've come to the other side. I bet it's very few, if any. And so being that I was always connected to this part of myself and that I was always looking for spiritual transformation and growth, I was never going to intimately connect with the people who were avoiding. We wouldn't even reson resonate together. So I've had a lot of relationships with people who are connected to the pain, because first of all, I was still connected to the pain. And secondly, very few people have transformed their pain and come to the other side. Go ahead and fight me on this. Tell me another stage. I want to know it. I want to hear it. So having been in the world and not being seen, not being held, not being validated, and just being judged for my relational choices was the most unhelpful thing in the world. Because as humans, as I said, we are attachment-based creatures. We want to connect with other humans. We want to be part of the community or the tribe, if you will. And our nervous systems believe that if we are not part of the community, if we are not part of the tribe, we're going to die. It's not rational. We won't in this day and age, but we feel that way literally in our bodies. It feels like I'm going to die if I'm kicked out by the tribe. And so we, people please, we get small. We justify. We do things to feel accepted by the tribe. And I had a friend at the time who uh, I actually had thrown raves with, and she was not accepting of this relationship for her own reasons, which I will not share on this podcast, but very judgmental around it with me. I felt very shameful when I was with her, it was not helpful. I felt like I had to justify myself. I felt like I had to, you know, continually be on guard. And I remember one night we were at a rave and I was wearing this, I had this 
it was beautiful. I think I lost it, which is so sad, but it was like straight out of the seventies, literally like this gold, um, halter top. It was metal, like heavy. Like I, at the end of the night, I would have like, um, little things in my dents in my collarbone because it was so heavy. So I was wearing that and like high-waisted bag, like bell-bottom jeans. And I was at a club and I was dancing and I think I was on acid and I was having the best time and he was there, but we never really like were public thing in that way. Like it just wasn't. So I was dancing. I was there with girlfriends and he was there. He had been DJing and he, I looked over and he was talking to this friend of mine who they had their own relationship, not intimate, but just different like friends. And I could see her staring at me and judging me. And I felt so much shame in my body because there I was just dancing freely and sexually in a beautiful way, not in a, you know, um, torrid way, but like beautiful. And I felt so good and so alive and she was judging me. And I remember feeling that in my body and feeling like I had to get small, feeling like I had to shut down. 10 years later, she apologized to me and told me that she was jealous of how free I was. And here's the thing we do to people when they get bright when they get powerful, when they shine their light, we get small and then we make them feel small. We judge them, we criticize them, and then they don't feel seen. And someone as sensitive as me, I just wanted to be held and part of something. I wanted her to shine too. I wanted her to dance with me too. And this is part of what I was saying in the first episode about when I entered the real world and I'm using air quotes, like the rave scene wasn't the real world, but she was raised in a much more real world than I was. And that was her nature was to judge someone who was shining a woman who was shining. I'm so grateful that she apologized years later. She has no idea how, what that meant to me because it landed in my body as shame. It landed in my body as I am wrong. My existence is wrong. And he was the epitome of so much of that. I felt judged. I felt criticized. I felt cast out of the tribe. I felt not accepted. I felt like I had to justify myself. And yet I wasn't going to stop doing what I wanted to do because that is my nature as a human is to just go full force in what I want to do. And instead of, <laughs> instead of taking people's judgment and stopping the thing that's making them judge me, I usually just try to convince them, which then looks like me justifying my actions, obsessing, overanalyzing. I no longer do that. And part of that was that I couldn't be with the uncertainty myself. I didn't have the nervous system regulation. I didn't have a healed enough nervous system. I hadn't processed my trauma. My anxious attachment was still so activated and like attaching on to everything. And so it was hard in that moment because it was like with him, I would attach and he was understanding, but like was not going to have it, which is actually really good for me. And that's the thing people didn't realize is like, yes, his behavior wasn't great, but it was forcing me to come back to me. And when he said to me that you will one day get sick of my shit and never talk to me again, that's literally what happened. It was about two years that we did whatever we did. And one day we were on the phone and he was talking about some bullshit. And I thought to myself, God, this is so boring. And I never spoke to him again. I had completed that journey. And really what had happened is I had met someone who looked in my eyes and loved me so deeply 
that it allowed me to love myself that deeply as well and to see my own infinite abilities and power. And this was while I was at that restaurant. I am so grateful to have experienced someone showing me how powerful I am just by looking at me. There was nothing intimate that happened just by looking at me. That makes me teary. And in feeling that, feeling something like real love and care and compassion, I was able to just end the relationship with the other man because that was not based on care and compassion. I was, however, learning so much about who I was. And that's why I, again, emphasize, we never know the trajectory of another human soul when we try to judge their process. And this happens even in the healing community, even with therapists and mentors and coaches. We try to cut off people's learning. We are on this planet as humans to learn and to grow and to evolve and to expand. And when we stunt ourselves from experiencing living, we stunt our ability to heal and grow and expand. And then we become fearful, defended, we project out, we judge, restricted, controlled, disconnected from our bodies, disconnected from our pleasure, disconnected from our lives, disconnected from our partners and our friends and the world, just disconnected. And if more people were able to support each other in their journey in life without the judgment, without the shame, without making people feel wrong, we would be so amazed what would happen on this planet. We have a soul that is, and maybe if you're listening, you may not believe that, but I do. I believe we reincarnate. I believe we have a journey. I believe we have karma. I believe we have dharma. I believe we have a mission. I believe we have a purpose. And I believe the stiller and quieter we get with ourselves, the more able we are to follow that. The other thing with my human design, which again, I hold all these things lightly, but man, human design is one that I read this and I'm like blown away. The other thing with my human design is that I'm supposed to follow my intuition, like quick, like just go, just go, just go. And, and that has been true my whole life. It doesn't need to make sense. We don't need to know the how. When we try to know the how, we squash the joy out of our lives and we are, we stop it from being able to happen. When we judge our process, when we judge our timeline, when we obsess and overanalyze rather than just being with things. And I could look back on my life and I could say, wow, a lot of those things were distractions and a lot of those things were trauma wounds. And I learned so much and I transformed so fully through each and every relationship and situation I have been in. I wrote fiction novels for 10 years, which we will get to. And one day I just decided I didn't want to write them anymore. That is another story. And it was so profound. And it was so expansive that I woke up the next day and never wrote fiction again. Most people would think that's insane. You have to follow your spirit. 
You have to follow your heart. You have to follow the call and the intuition of your body and your mind and your heart and your soul. Your wiring in your nervous system creates your mind. So when you heal your nervous system, you rewire your brain. And when I look back on my journey and dancing at the raves and that drumbeat going through my body, that was healing my nervous system. When I look back at the yoga and at all the things that led me to where I am today, it was always bringing me home to me and to rewiring my nervous system so I could rewire my brain. Mindset work isn't real. If you do not shift it at a nervous system level, you will always be white knuckling it through life. You will always be holding on. You will always be acting as a computer. You will never be fully embodied and in connected to your heart. And that is not how I ever wanted to live. And when people would come at me with mindset, I was so angry. It never worked. Exposure therapy with OCD, all of these things, like trying to come at it from a cognitive level does not work. Unless we fully embody it in our nervous systems, we are always living in scarcity and survival. And we are not meant to live in scarcity and survival. We are meant to be connected and joyful and free and expansive and to be able to experience life and not feel like we're going to be judged or criticized or rejected from the tribe. I had so few people who would hold space for my wild ways. That is true even today. And it is the saddest thing in the world that we cannot hold space for other people's pain because we cannot hold space for our own pain. We can't hold space for other people's uncertainty because we can't hold space for our own certainty. If we have someone who's coming at us, who's grasping, who's freaking out, we feel so dysregulated in ourselves that we are unable to guide them back to themselves, to just be there with them and be like, I got you, you're safe. I got you, you're safe. That is like the most powerful thing you could say to somebody who's dysregulated. I've got you. You're safe. It doesn't mean we'll change them. It doesn't mean we can control them. It doesn't mean we can fix them. It just means we hold gentle space for them. And when we hold gentle space for someone, we make space for an opening of change. And at some point, we have to call people on their BS. I needed to be called on my BS because I am a brilliant manipulator. I am delusional. I can delude myself. I my Our minds will play such tricks on ourselves and I can justify to the end of the world. Maybe I'm justifying that relationship because of all I learned. I don't feel like I'm justifying. I knew the bad parts. I was not unaware. I also knew that it was transforming me. Now, is this, in, this isn't for everyone. As I said, emotional abuse is real. So I'm not invalidating emotional abuse. I'm telling a specific story about my own relationship. And I also think in this world, emotional abuse is so prevalent. If we were able to hold space for each other more effectively, people wouldn't feel so inclined to stay in emotionally abusive situations because they would feel like they have a safe place to go to help them co-regulate to come back to self-regulation. As humans, as attachment-based creatures, we need co-regulation to come back to self-regulation. This is something I realized when I was in my grad school program because I come from a spiritual community that was all about let go, non-attachment, blah, blah, blah. And I one day was in, I think it was my second semester at Pacifica Graduate Institute. And I was in, you know, like a, co a circle. We were doing practice sessions on each other. And I immediately was like, oh my God, in order to let go, you have to first feel securely attached. 
It was a profound moment for me. Until you feel securely attached, you will always be activated and running through this world, trying to let go. I'm using air quotes, trying to hold, not to hold on or avoiding and avoiding is just as insecure as anxious attachment. You're not securely attached to something. You're not able to allow yourself to be with the discomfort, with the pain, with everything that comes up from actually caring about another human, another thing, your career, whatever it is. Feeling safe to care and throw yourself in with an open heart fully and deeply only can happen when you have secure attachment because your insecure attachment will get activated and it will project trauma responses onto a situation and it will blockade you every time. So coming into relationship with yourself through another human who is going to hold you while still calling you on your BS is literally the most valuable thing we can ever do because we need co-regulation to come back to self-regulation. And then once we have self-regulation and we're in our personal power, we still need to be guided because our minds are sneaky little creatures. So as I have moved through life, I have learned this and I am now able to self-regulate so effectively. And also I still co-regulate. I still have a mentor. I still have friends who I call who just accept me for my wild ways. Thank God I finally have people in my life who accept me for my wild ways. I did when I was younger, but there was a level of impatience that would come up, which naturally we were young. Um, and some of those people I'm still connected to. But it is so beautiful to have humans in my life who don't judge my wildness, who don't judge who I am and what I'm creating and my ability to shine bright and be powerful in this world. And I want you all to have people who hold you and nurture your ability to shine brightly and be powerful in this world and who also are a safe place to land when your heart feels raw. We will end here for the day. I'm so excited to have you here and I'm so excited for next week. Take time to come home to yourself. Remember that breathing exercise, the exercise from the beginning. Bring your hands to your body. Take three long deep breaths at least five times a day. If you love this episode and want to share it with the world, screenshot, post, and tag me at Heal with Yarrow or the Heal and Expand podcast on Instagram so I can enter you in a drawing to win my 40-day course of Mastering Abundance, a journey to money magic, wealth, and abundance. And if you want to get notified of the next episode, go ahead and subscribe here on iTunes so you never miss a chapter. Thank you for healing and expanding with me. Take time to come home to yourself always, and I will see you soon, dear ones.